0: What can we do to make sure that we don't have to wait for a crisis in order to push us to recognize that there are better ways to do the things that we're most comfortable doing?
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation. Where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Coughlin. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, winner of the most forward thinking impact award from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation.
2: And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice in the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people.
1: This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. You'll hear more about the Y Institute and their operating system in just a few minutes. We're also gonna hear from our one of my favorite thought leaders, Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. His return to geek Skeezes and Googleization is quite special for me because Jason was guest number two in October of 2018 which is still one of my favorite episodes. We talked about why do older people bash millennials? And I think we're still asking that question. But now Jason has a new book, Build for Tomorrow. And I must say it's a keeper. I have both the Kindle and Audible versions. And if I had it in paperback, I'll guarantee you that the entire book would be highlighted, loaded with sticky notes and page corners turned. But before we bring on Jason, it's time for our perfect labor storm segment. This is where on each episode, we focus on just one disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. Here's today's perfect labor storm. 70% of people don't feel prepared for the future of work according to a study of 3,000 people conducted by Amazon and Workplace Intelligence. And according to the same study, almost 80% of employees are concerned they lack the skills and 70% of employees are concerned they lack the education to advance their careers. 58% believe their skills have gone stale since the pandemic. Another poll from Harris found that approximately half of American employees are are considering making a career change this year and 44% are already planning it. And the final study was really interesting. It shows that the average person will have at least 12 jobs during their lifetimes. There's another landmark study from Australia that indicated that today's young workers will not only have those 12 or more jobs, they will they will likely hold those jobs in five different industries.
2: As we've discussed so many times before, Ira, the future is both fascinating and terrifying. Um, I actually just learned this week the scientific reason for why it's hard for us to project ourselves into the future. When we project into the future, our medial prefrontal cortex shuts down. That's the part of the brain that activates when we think about ourselves. So this means whenever we start to think of ourselves in the future, our brain actually treats us like we're a stranger. Um, And it explains why it's so challenging oftentimes for us to do things for our future selves, like saving for retirement, or staying on a healthy diet. But just because it's hard to project ourselves into the future, doesn't mean that it's impossible. Imagine a world where our annual wellness exams no longer exist because nanobots in our bloodstream send our vitals to our doctor 24 seven. Or imagine a world where very few of us own a car because we simply use car as a service via autonomous and flying cars. Or how about this one? The movie Avatar The Way of Water is releasing this week in movie theaters. Imagine your consciousness being projected into an avatar to interact with the digital and physical world. But even more practically, imagine doing work that you never expected yourself to do. This has become a reality for so many people, myself included. And this is why I'm so stoked to learn from Jason today on how to build ourselves for tomorrow by embracing change and adapting
1: faster. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening and you're a member of Sherm and you want to earn some credits, you can go up to our website, googleizationnation.com. click on Podcast, and right underneath that, uh, there is a short form just to verify that you were listening and submit it, and we'll send you the activity code. While you're there, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation, please subscribe, and if you're listening to this on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, please rate the show and leave a review. Awesome. And so with that, uh, it seems like a perfect time to
2: bring on our honored guest today, Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and author of a recently released book. Let's go ahead and bring Jason on today. Hey, guys. Hey, welcome,
0: Jason. Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to see you again. It, it's hard to believe it's out, over four years since wow. then, since you graced our stage. Time is so, a flat
0: but, circle. That's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm very honored to be back.
1: And as, as much has changed, including, and we can't wait to dive into uh, build, build for Tomorrow, yeah. uh, we're still asking that question. Why do older people still bash millennials? You know, we'll, <laughs> we'll be asking
0: that question till the end of time, because it's been happening for all of recorded history.
1: So you, you've gone from you know, working with, uh, entrepreneur magazine prior to that fast company, a couple other stops along the way, but I found it interesting. And I I heard this on another interview you did. You, you, you don't like assuming the title of thought leader. No, I hate it. Why? Uh,
0: well, it's just, it's a, it's cliche. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, it, It sounds pompous. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a good term for the role and space that I occupy outside of that. I'm a guy that hopefully has something to say that people want to listen to. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, to me, thought leader is like influencer, which is to say that you've just sort of re- the whole goal of it was to just reach some status where people pay attention to you. And that, that's, that wasn't really what I was going for. So it's, it, I, I, I use it when need be, but I don't think it's a great term
1: curious and I and I agree with you. Yeah. So it, it 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 helps you get gigs, right? Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, appreciate that. So tell us a little bit. I mean again, you you you've been you've been writing forever. I love your writing style. Thank you. um, and I wasn't kidding. I mean if I had the paperback, I would have had it literally the whole thing would be yellow or pink or whatever yeah. color. Um because I keep stopping the Audible version and the Kindle version going back and forth and writing notes and and my mind wanders and and goes adrift. So how did you, why did you write this book? I mean, what what was, and and I know it was partly triggered by the pandemic, but there had to be more than just the pandemic said, hey, I'm going to sit down and write a book because that's not easy, especially with everything else you do.
0: No, it is certainly not easy. I do not recommend writing a book unless you are really, really ready to commit basically two to three years of your life to it, so if not more. So I... It really all goes back to when I first became Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and I kept getting this question asked of me all the time. I would be on podcasts, I would be you know, at events, and people would ask me, what are the qualities of successful entrepreneurs or successful people? And I, I it was very curious to me. Why are people asking me this question all the time? And I came to realize that the answer is because if you listen to the questions that people ask you, what you discover is that People are really telling you what they think your value is to them. And if you can understand what people see their value, what your value is, then you can anticipate it and deliver it. And is there anything more powerful than understanding what people want and being able to be upfront about delivering and so I wondered, well, what's the answer to this question? The reason why people are asking it is because they see me as a pattern matcher. That's the value that I have to people. I get to talk to incredible entrepreneurs all the time, and therefore I get to match patterns across how they think and how they they act. And I came to conclude that the answer is adaptability. The most important skill, the thing that drives the most success is adaptability. I wanted to understand what are people doing? It doesn't seem to be something people are born with. It seems to be a skill that people can develop and after the pandemic there was absolutely no better subject to dive into and help people embrace and jason with that with the
2: adaptability in your book you talk about the reason we need to adapt is there's kind of like these four phases of change can you explain to us what those four phases of change are that we go through
0: yeah so what i've found is that everybody goes through change in the same four phases and those phases are panic adaptation new normal and wouldn't go back. And everybody, I stress, even the most incredibly adaptable, fearless leaders go through those four phases. The difference is that very adaptable people, people who have maybe gone through this before, they go through them faster, They just spend less time on the panic and they learn how to adapt faster. They have theories about what new normal looks like and they start to move towards them this is what we all need to do better at is we all need to be able to move towards that through that panic and into more productive phases of change and so i wanted to understand again like what is it that people are doing okay i I give you like a really just this was perhaps my first great shocker moment of of how people were going to react to the pandemic which was it was march of 2020 it was days before everything shut down and uh, you know the world hadn't quite understood what was coming for us and i was out to dinner with like 12 people for a birthday party and i'm sitting next to this woman named megan asha and megan is the founder of a company called founder made they're they're uh, they they're, they operate trade shows for the cpg industry and I, and i've spoken at, at founder made before and i I said, Megan, what is going to happen because your business is, is a live events business and it, at live events are like shutting down right now. Well, like, How are you feeling? And she said, you know what? I'm actually a little excited about it. And the reason is because we have had all of these ideas about other sources of revenue, ways to diversify this business. And we've never been able to really explore any of those ideas because all of our energy and resources are always being put towards the live events because we always have to have the live events so now if the live events stop we can start to explore all these other ideas that we haven't had the time for and i i just i was Amazed by that perspective because she instantly, I'm sure that she basically already moved through panic. And I'm sure she was still feeling plenty of panic and there would be plenty of panic to come. But she had gotten already to a place where she was starting to hypothesize what happens next, right? Instead of debating whether or not there should be live events when it seems like there will not be live events, she is putting her energy towards what can I do and how can I make the most of the reality that I am now facing rather than trying to counterfactualize that reality.
2: And Jason, with that, I mean, are there some corollaries of that? That was a perfect example of, of how uh, businesses sometimes can innovate and come up with new concepts. Mm-hmm. In this case, they were kind of forced to because of the pandemic. But what if we shift that on its side and think in terms of people? Are there, are there things that people need to do in terms of their career where those same types of principles apply in terms of stretching themselves, doing things they haven't done before? and going out on a limb and and trying new things
0: yeah without question i think that the first thing that we need to do as individuals is have a better more defined sense of self that is detached from the output of our work so what i mean by that is that if someone comes up to you at a party and asks what you do you will almost certainly tell them what you do by means of the day-to-day tasks that you perform, the thing that you produce, the company that you work for, the role that you occupy. And that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that all of that stuff is easily changeable, all of it. And therefore, if you too closely tie your identity to these easily changeable things, then what you are really setting yourself up for is a massive feeling of disruption. When anything does change, it won't just feel like a change to your work. It will feel like a change to your identity. We need to come up with definitions of ourselves, understandings of ourselves that are detached from the things that are easily changed. You need to find the thing about you that does not change in times of change. And I would suggest pushing yourself to try to come up with a single sentence, a single sentence that you can use to understand yourself. For me, it is this. I tell stories in my own voice, every word carefully selected because it is not anchored to something that changes. Notice, I tell stories, not magazine stories, not newspaper stories, not podcasts, not books, because any of that is changeable. I work at a magazine right now. I am the editor-in-chief of that magazine. It's a great role. It could go away today. All it takes is somebody deciding to fire me, right? And there are a couple people above me, president and CEO, they could fire me. And then that's it. If my identity is that I'm the I'm, I'm a magazine editor, then I'm I'm basically on one phone call or email away from that identity disappearing. I run people through this this uh, kind of extended exercise that I have in the book about how to find this for yourself, and it is awesome to hear people afterwards come up to me at conferences or wherever and tell me what they have come up with. I, I actually I just yesterday, um, let's see if I can find it fast enough. Um, I just yesterday. Uh, got a DM from someone on Instagram who is an event planner and had heard me walk people through how to do this, and then and then texted. Her, Here it is, I found it. And she wrote, um, she wrote, uh, I was just on a podcast recently. He asked me to tell me more about tell him more about me, expecting me to say I'm an event planner. Nope, I'm someone who loves to help people celebrate life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Because that means that, so fine, she's an event planner now. Maybe the event industry collapses, or maybe just the kinds of events that she does radically changes. But there is never going to be an absence of need for people celebrating life. I love that that is the way that she now thinks of herself. It liberates her to enjoy and embrace the new things that come and figure out how to make the most of them.
1: Jason, you must have been eavesdropping on my master's class. So we just finished our organizational change class, and one of the, the messages that the students got, and, and Jason was a guest lecturer there as well. Mm. We talked about that. We talked about how you can't identify yourself through job titles, and we and we actually focused on purpose. And you talked about that in your in your book a bit. Yeah. And one of the quotes that you had was, "Purpose is why you should exist tomorrow." Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Well, you know, the reason I called the book "Build for Tomorrow" is because. I think we often spend too much of our time building for yesterday and just to say that we built something it works or we're comfortable with it and therefore what we want to do is make sure that it 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 lasts we start to protect it we start to make decisions about it based on our own discomfort with having to move away from these things rather than focusing on what people need next I I think about this company Foodsters that I uh, wrote about they 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 make baking mixes and um other pa- packaged goods you know f- f- sweets they make sweets and um and there was they went through a big change a number of years ago and it was impacted the products that they were putting out and I I asked their CEO Greg about it and I said look you know was it a bummer or was it really difficult to navigate that to to kind of grapple with that big change and he said you know it wasn't because it all goes back to why we started business to begin with. Our mission, he said, was to bring joy to people with upgraded sweet baked goods, to bring joy to people. And I think about how, how transformative that kind of insight is because here's the thing. Consider that company started just by bake- making baking mixes. And let's say that the, that the global market for baking mixes just disappeared overnight. Well, what might they do? They really have two options. Number one is to try to convince people to buy baking mixes again because they have invested in baking mixes. And so their incentive now is going to be to just get people to like this stuff again. That's building for yesterday. right? That's trying to get people to go backwards even when they want to go forwards because you happen to have something that was relevant to them before. The other way to do it is to say, all right, well, they don't like baking mixes anymore. What's my purpose? My purpose is to bring joy to people with upgraded sweet baked goods. So how can I do that? What else do they want? Do they like donuts now? Do they like cookies? Do they want, what do they want right now? How can I bring joy to people? That's building for tomorrow because that's understanding where people are going and making sure that you are evolving with and ahead of them. It's a massive difference. So that's the reason why I, why I, I wrote it like that, because you know your purpose is understanding how you can continue to be relevant not how you were relevant
1: so if we can continue walking through the stages so we spent some time on on panic and probably have sw- moved into adaptability yeah. so let's walk th- let's make sure that we walk through all four stages because we certainly want to get people where they they wouldn't look go back
0: yeah yeah well right so you know, there's panic. You're very familiar with panic. There's adaptation. I think one of the best ways to do that is, is what we've been doing right now is to have a clear-eyed understanding of who you are and, uh, and what your value is that's transferable. You know, you get to now the next is new normal, new normal being where we start to develop some new comforts and familiarities. We start to build a new foundation. And as we do that, one of my recommendations is that we need to be incredibly mindful of how everything that we do benefits or does not benefit our ecosystem. So I like asking this question, what is this for? I I like it so much that I devoted an entire page in the book to it, which is to say that there's literally nothing on that page except for what is this for very large so that people could tear it out and slap it on their walls. Because I find that asking what is this for of everything that I do really helps guide me. It, shows me that, you know, all right, this podcast that I make, for example, what is this for? Well, in the early days, what it was for was it was for teaching me podcasting. And then it might have become about, what is this for? It's to make me money. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. The podcast that I make, eh, it doesn't really make me much money. So it's not for making money. Does it have another purpose? It better. Otherwise, I should stop making it. What is this for? Well, I found that the answer is that it is a IP factory. It it allows me to talk to very interesting people, explore very interesting ideas. I can then utilize those insights in other ways. And it's an opportunity magnet. People listen to it and then they reach out to me and those relationships can turn into other opportunities. Now, the second that uh, one of those two things stops working or that there are other more, more, interesting and maybe efficient ways to gain those things that i'm talking about maybe the podcast doesn't isn't for anything anymore and i should move along and that's okay because the podcast served its purpose and i loved it and now it's time for it to 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 be replaced by something else that it's for constantly ask yourself what is this for so that you never 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 just start doing things forever simply because they served a role at one time
2: Now, Jason, this is going to be a little bit of a different question here in your book. You've got Dwayne, the rock Johnson, and I'm a huge, huge fan of the rock and professional wrestling. Mm. Um, and so, you know, without giving too much away, can you share a little bit of the wisdom and insights that the rock shared on how we build for the future?
0: Yeah, sure. So I had a really wonderful conversation with Dwayne and his business partner, Danny Garcia. And, um, and we, we, talked, we talked a lot about how to find purpose, um, similar to what we, we talked about here. And, you know, I, I asked him, I told him my line that I, that I said to you there, uh, I tell stories in my own voice. And I asked him, what, what's his version of that? And he said just the craziest thing to me. He said that his mission for himself is, I want to be a 10-lane highway moving through the world. <laughs> and you're like, what? And I wanna be a 10 lane highway moving through the world. The w- way in which he has thought about his career is that he wants to connect with people and he wants to pr- produce things that are valuable to people and that bring joy to people. He sees himself as, as, as really in the business of, of joy. And when he started out, he had one lane and that one lane was he was a wrestler. And then he added a second lane, and that second lane was acting. But he feels like, and you know, so far he has not been proven wrong, he feels like he has near infinite capacity for expansion, that he has the ambition and the talent and the wherewithal to find incredibly different relevant ways to connect with people and he wants to continue to push himself to figure out what those are so you know i think that probably when he and danny were trying to decide whether or not to buy the xfl it fit very nicely into well this is another lane that we have that we can build to try to bring joy to people and it's the reason why he also like invests in just the most random i mean he's like he invests in like jenny's ice cream i think it's jenny's like some ice cream company and um it might not be jenny's i take that back and uh Uh, And, and, and I just, you know, that was, I've never heard somebody articulate ambition quite like that, but I really like it because it's not just, you know, the rock doesn't want to just like make the most money possible. I mean, he makes a hell of a lot of money, but you know um, if he wanted to do that, there are, there are other ways to do it. He wants to really bring joy to people, connect people. And he feels like there is not just one way to do that. And he wants to find as many ways as possible.
1: I love that, maybe describe the millennial trapped in the baby boomer body, mm. uh, you know, which is my tag, um, because most people are saying, when are you going to slow down? When are you going to retire? You know, and here I am picking up, I've got like six more lanes to fill. Yeah. and And I know I don't have that much more time to do it. Um, but or, or to accomplish it because I keep finding more things to put on those lanes <laughs> and those lanes are getting pretty full. Right. So I, I love that, that analogy. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to actually, the, our two sponsors are going to talk about two things we were just talking about. Purpose, we're going to talk about your why, and we're going to talk about adaptability. But we are talking with Jason Pfeiffer about his new book, Build for Tomorrow. And when we come back, we're going to pick up on the last phase and we're going to make sure to understand is why people why people shouldn't and how people have succeeded in not going back or not looking back. Now we're gonna build for tomorrow and we'll be right back with Jason Pfeiffer. For most of us,
3: change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny, in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization ira s wolf adaptability.expert
0: there's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe who leads people to greatness who gets people unstuck who unlocks all of your passion a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers that knowing your why is the first step to untap potential to focus to breakthroughs a coach who's looking for a better way are you that coach
1: hey welcome back everyone to geek Skeezers and googleization we're here with jason pfeiffer uh, with his, about his new book build for tomorrow and Jason, as I was listening to uh, the commercial, it sounds like uh, we're in sync. Couldn't be more relevant. We were, we were, we we're working on separate projects very similarly. So I'd uh, love to talk to you about that at a later time. Uh, let's let's make sure, because I know you have a hard stop uh, coming up. Uh, we wanna make sure that we get to the core of the book of how do you get to stage four or phase four of this, of, of saying, hey, I wouldn't go back.
0: Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's not one flip that you switch. Uh, the uh, you know, and and the the book is the book is sort of all about driving towards wouldn't go back. And I think that that's what we all should be thinking about is there is going to be time, t- whether or not we go into it kicking or screaming or not, there will be some moment where we realized, oh wow, there was actually a better way to do things all along. Uh, w- one of my favorite favorite little moments, um, talking to people during the pandemic was, uh, this woman, her name is Lena and she runs a company in, uh, in, uh, in Baltimore called Lena's wigs. It's just a storefront they sell wigs. And she used to operate it like a storefront. Everybody knows what a storefront is. People could walk in off the street, they a shop for wigs. And then the pandemic arrives and Lena cannot welcome people in off the street because they're a, lockdowns and all sorts of restrictions. And we all remember that. And so Lena's trying to think, well, how on earth can I stay operational? And the only thing that she can think of is something that she was well aware of, wasn't something she invented, but that she had always thought was a terrible idea for her business. And that was to do appointment only, to be an appointment only business. And the reason she'd always thought that was a terrible idea was because why would you add friction to your business? But... Now she has no other choice. And so she moves to appointment only and discovers two incredible things. Number one, sales and profits rise. Number two, her, her her customers are happier. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. You know who doesn't buy wigs? Turns out the answer is people who walk in off the street. They don't buy wigs. They browse wigs. You know who does buy wigs? People who are buying for religious or pers- or like other personal reasons, health reasons, you know, very personal reasons. Those people are incredibly happy to come in and have a private experience where they're looking at wigs and they are not surrounded by randos who walk in off the street. Meanwhile, Lena this whole time had been employing somebody to greet the people who come in off the street, which means that Lena was actually spending money to greet people who are not her customers at the expense of the people who are her customers. And she didn't realize this until she was forced into it. And this now is her wouldn't go back moment. She realized that there was actually a completely different way to run her business. And now that she has recognized that she has leaned heavily into it. So she is now thinking, well, how can I make my online presence more robust? Can I also do virtual fittings? The answer is yes, people are very happy about that. What can we do? to make sure that we don't have to wait for a crisis in order to push us to recognize that there are better ways to do the things that we're most comfortable doing. I, you know, I, 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 I almost I think back to the way that Donald Rumsfeld, um, kind of random reference, you didn't expect that, but Donald Rumsfeld famously uh, talked about in this press conference over a decade ago, about the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. Now, he was talking about that from a military perspective, but I think that that's actually, that comes out of the Johari window, which is this 1970s self assessment tool. And I think it's a pretty good way for us to think. You know, if we always look around and we think, what, our, what are our unknown unknowns? What do other people know that I don't? And that, in fact, I don't even know how to ask the question for. The starting point is by looking around at other businesses and just seeing how they're operating. By looking at, you know, she could have, Lena could have been looking at virtual... Uh, companies that do virtual um, uh, uh, things for people that we always used to think have to happen in person. Um, You know, people sell candles online now. It seems like the weirdest thing. Don't you need to smell the candle? No, turns out you don't. So that should make you wonder, well, is there an unknown unknown in front of me too? How can I start to illuminate that unknown unknown? How can I start to experiment and see if the boundaries of my business are not exactly where I thought that they were? That is how we ultimately are going to be able to reach our wouldn't go back moment.
1: And and you brought up one of my favorite questions. This came when I was doing my master's program almost twenty years ago, and it was in a book from a book called The Prepared Mind, and it, and, it, and it looked at different stages of decision making. But yeah. one of those questions was, "What don't I know that I should?" Yeah, and who who knows that? You know, Where knows do I find that. that answer? And that's and you know that's a question, and uh, you know every time somebody gives me a solution. Or every conversation we have, or every time I was teaching my class, uh, that's the question is what don't we know that we should?
0: I oh, you know, I whenever I go into a situation that I don't feel completely prepared for, like I remember the first couple of times I went on television and uh or the first couple of times I went on stage, I mean couple is like a lot, I would I would always ask afterwards, how did I do? Like not just of me, but of the organizer. And, you know, they'll always, they'll be like, oh, you did great. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, how, you know, tell me the things that you would have done differently. Um, tell me what other people do better than what I do. And then they'll say, and I'll be like, I'm not defensive about it. I just, you know better than me. So now you've seen what I can do. Tell me how to improve. And I'll tell you, people, they have answers. They have really, really smart answers. And um and I've always taken those answers to heart. Uh, you know, it's like a little ego bruising goes a long way.
1: Jason, I know you're tight on time and we're incredibly grateful for you being here and I'm so and we're we're all we're grateful that geek skeezes and Googleization can be named in the same conversation with the Rock, <laughs> and also with Barbara Corcoran. So I know you had a great interview with her, and i was yes. following it on LinkedIn. And it goes up, and and uh, it was it was a fantastic interview and fun, along with other things. Um, but we want to make sure that we get to one of our our favorite parts of the show. Two things: one is is there something we should have asked you that we didn't, which goes along with that question. And then Jason's going to lead into the lightning round, and we'll we'll get you off to your next. Meeting. Oh, sounds good. Uh, I, you know, no, I thought you guys did great. I mean, look,
0: not every, I think the, 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 this goes for content as well as just anything else. Which is like, right. If you're trying to be all things to all people, then you're nothing to nobody. And oftentimes, I think people feel like when they sit down with someone, they should have like a big sweeping conversation. But instead, I think that what you should do is pick one direction and just dig deep there. And and you'll you'll hit some kind of pay dirt, and that's valuable. And ultimately, the most anybody can ever hope for is that you is that somebody remembers like one thing that you said. Right? If people are watching, p- people who are watching or listening right now. If they remember a single thing that came out of my mouth a week from now, that is the greatest success I can ask for. So I don't care what people ask me so long as we, so long as it prompts an interesting conversation. So I thought we did great here.
2: Awesome. Well, we're going to go out on a high note here. We're going to do the lightning round now, Jason, just so we can get to know you better on a personal level and our audience too. So two or three questions here. Let's start with this one. Favorite band or musical artist?
0: Oh, well, I mean, historically, it was Green Day uh, from high school, but I still have a great fondness for them. So I'm going Green Day.
2: Absolutely love that. One of my favorites as well. How about if you could pick any superpower in the world, which one would you pick and why?
0: Uh, right. So outside of the superpower is that you can create superpowers because that's a cheat. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, that, you know, the uh, the superpower that I would want is, uh, is uh, teleportation. Um, I, I, I love to travel and I can't do enough of it because it takes too long. So teleportation.
2: Awesome. And I think that's the most popular one so far, Ira, ah. that we've had the most for Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Yeah. And then I number mean- three. Oh, go ahead, Jason.
0: Well, it's funny. I was just—I was just going to say, I—I I, for a second there, I was thinking the superpower should be immortality, um, and um, uh, and there is something very appealing to that. But of course, then it it sort of raises this question of what happens when sort of the first round of everybody you know dies, and is that you know like, do you want to do you want to live past that? I don't really know the answer to that. So anyway, uh, teleportation.
2: I love it. That's a really deep, uh, deep thought there on that. with yeah, Immortality. And number three. How about this one? We're, we've been talking a lot today about your wouldn't go back moment. Mm-hmm. What was yours?
0: Oh, gosh, one of there, yours? there have been so many, but I'll say, you know, very, very briefly, because this is lightning round. Um, I got into this job editor in chief of entrepreneur magazine as a media guy, and I saw it as a media project. And about a year in, I is when I finally understood that the world didn't understand me as a media guy anymore. They understood me as <laughs> I mean, I read a, like what you opened with, a thought leader, and I hated the term thought leader. But I realized eventually that there was actually a massive opportunity in fulfilling that expectation because that then allows me to do a lot more and be relevant to more people in more direct ways, it took me an incredibly long time to understand what that actually meant and how I had to think differently about myself and my career and how I reach and relate to people. It was a years-long project. But the ultimate result of it is basically what you see now, is that I'm able to have this kind of conversation with folks like you, and I wrote this book, and I do a lot of other work. And um, that is easily a wouldn't-go-back moment.
2: Love it. And of course, even though you may not like to call yourself a thought leader, the perception of everyone else absolutely is that you are and you're making valuable contributions. And we appreciate you sharing those with our audience today and for helping Ira and I learn. But before we let you go, the name of the book again is Build for Tomorrow by Jason Pfeiffer. Um, You can buy it on Amazon. Also check out Jason's website, jasonpfeiffer.com. The Pfeiffer is spelled F-E-I-F-E-R um, and check that out. Jason, any other ways that folks can get in touch with you and learn about the work that you're doing?
0: I mean, you did great there. It's also available in ebook and audiobook If that interests folks, Ira knows that already. And, uh, and, uh, uh you know, you can find me on social media. I'm, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Instagram in particular, and, uh, always happy to engage.
1: Thank you, Jason. It's great to see you again. I can't believe it's four years. Congratulations on the book. It's it's been a partner on my side. It's uh, again one of the advantages of digital and and um, and audio is that the print doesn't wear off. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, it, it's been by my side for a while, and I keep, and I've got a million references. So you will people will keep hearing about what you're fantastic. Uh, those long lasting quotes. So thank you. I know you got a busy schedule. Appreciate you carving out some time for us and uh, wishing you a Happy holiday. Oh, thanks, guys.
0: I really appreciate it. It was such a joy.
1: And um, take care.
2: Ira, I was taking copious notes in today's episode.
1: Well, I already have like three documents going. <laughs> right? <laughs> you got
2: the Google Docs pulled up in yeah. the background. I love it. Yep,
1: I, I do. So uh, I'll, I'll give you my takeaway. And this was something uh, that I pushed out right before the uh, right bef- to promote this. And as I was reading it, I kept coming across it and going back to it. This is this is almost verbatim, a quote from uh, Jason's book. He didn't say this directly, but this is sort of the summary. We're building the future on shifting ground. We can't anticipate tomorrow's needs, but we can anticipate that tomorrow will have needs and those needs will be different than today. And that fits so well into what we're talking about purpose and adaptability.
2: It absolutely does. One of the quotes that aligns with that that he shared today that just absolutely stuck with me was he said, find the thing about you that doesn't change when everything else around you is changing. And again, it gets back to your why. And that was the context of the conversation when that came up was if you you don't understand who you are and you detach that from just stating the title or role of your job. If you haven't done that, that's the first step in understanding who you are and in thriving in this ever-changing world, because he's right, that's the piece of you that's gonna remain constant when everything else is changing. I'll tell you Ira, the other one too, and I'd love to hear your comments on this one. The other one I jotted down that just hit me like a bolt of lightning was he said, we spend way too much time building for yesterday because it's comfortable. I mean, that just, and the name of his book is Build for Tomorrow, but I can't tell you the number of people and leaders and organizations that often say, we're okay with status quo for right now. You know, we'll we'll deal with that problem when we get to that point. And if you're listening to Jason today, he said, absolutely, that's not how we need to go about thinking about problems and the future of work, we need to start building for tomorrow today. What did you think of, of that particular quote, Ira?
1: That sort of led into the purpose when you know we talked about purposes why you should why you should exist tomorrow. Purpose is your roadmap, but there was an, there was something else that again I, I don't know if he mentioned it today or this was a note that I had before, but he talked about that nobody really cares what you did yesterday, ex- except employers. It's it's really Nobody cares what used to work. And even employers, are you know, they're starting to question, how much experience do you need? How much education do you need? What type of education do you need? When did you get that education? What did you learn from that education? How can you apply that education to what you're doing now? And, and when you start asking that question, it really exposes of uh, you know how are we going to evaluate workers, employees? How are people going to evaluate what their worth is? How are they going to remain relevant? So I, I think he hit upon a, a great, you know, a, 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 a really significant area there. Uh, there was another quote that he had, and then uh, we, we want to talk about what's coming up too, because um, we got th- this is just the start of of some great conversations that we're going to have. Um, he And again, and, and this was for a, a sentence in his, a statement in his book that I wrote down, is our moment is now, but only if we're willing to seize it. And I think a lot of people are are at that point. So and in line with that, uh, we are approaching the end of 2022. But we I, I, I jotted this down yesterday, but we sort of are just beginning and we are we have a, a, a great uh, we have so many great events and lineups and guests uh, coming up uh, in the beginning of the year, but throughout 2023, but in two weeks uh, on December 27th, so you know, a lot of people should be vacationing, have a, a chance to, to listen to this. We have Stephen Kotler, uh, as a, a, and we're going to be doing a webinar, a live stream uh, interview. He's got a brand new book called NAR Country. This is his 24th or 25th book. Uh, I didn't realize he, he was nominated for two Pulitzer Prizes. Uh, he's, he's been a co-author with some really great people. Uh, and uh, it, we're going to have a, a great, great conversation.
2: Absolutely. And all of this, obviously, is centered around the future of work. That's what we were talking about today, and that's what we'll be talking about with Stephen. Um, it's so many exciting things. And so we want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for getting us into the top 1% of podcasts. Um, without you being loyal listeners, uh, that would be impossible. We want to thank our our partners at People Forward Network and also our sponsors at Why Institute uh, for making the show possible. And if you haven't liked and subscribed um, on your favorite audio platform, please do so. Um, And we also have a free community uh, that's bringing together some of the best resources on preparing you to lead in the future of work. The name of the community is Googleization Nation. And so you can go to GoogleizationNation.com and it's free to join, no cost. Uh, but we are going to have some exciting announcements in 2023 about some additional benefits that'll come along as being a member of uh, Googleization Nation. So until next time, I am Jason Cochran signing off.
1: And I'm Arthur Wolf, and once again, we want to. We're very, very grateful for Jason Pfeiffer taking the time. Uh, check out his new book, "Build for Tomorrow," and mark on your calendars the seven December twenty seventh, twelve thirty p.m. or twelve thirty, yeah, twelve thirty p.m. Uh, Eastern time, uh, when Stephen Kotler will join us, and we're going to talk about his new book and the future of work. Uh, special thanks again to Y Institute, and thank you. Everyone, for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not, go to GoogleizationNation.com and register. It's free. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.